This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we watch sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Riverworld, part one. I remember waking up, I was floating in water. This woman in robes flew over me and cut the bracelet from my wrist. Man, how friggin' nuts is that? Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast recording on Jordan's birthday. I'm Luke, here's my co-host Jordan. Happy birthday, Jordan! Thank you. I mean, it's my birthday where you are. It's not my birthday where I am. Yeah, it's my, it's your birthday where I am. So it all works out. It's, <laughs> it's true. I'm recording on your birthday. That's true. Thank you very much. You have a few hours left till you're, how old are you going to be? What is this, 47? <laughs> no, it's, it's the difference how old I am and how old I look. <laughs> I'm, I'm turning uh, I'm turning 41. I was trying to think, how old were we when we started this podcast? We were, we were in our mid-30s? Yeah, well, it was five years ago. So, so 36. We were 36. Yeah, yeah. That math is pretty easy. <laughs> well, I just couldn't remember how many years. This is five years. I couldn't remember. <laughs> I mean... That was uh, speaking of five years ago. We are returning to Riverworld, a right. TV movie slash failed pilot that we watched. I think it was our second TV movie we watched for this podcast was Riverworld from uh, it was a two thousand something, two thousand five, two thousand three, two thousand three. Um, mm-hmm. So we watched that, and then now jumping forward five years later, we are back to watch the TV movie miniseries Riverworld from 2010. So we kind of have mm-hmm. we're, we're back. You, this is your special request by you for your birthday. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't for my birthday, but no, I just thought it'd be interesting to come back to something, but in a different form because this is uh, sci-fi's second kick at this property, uh, which is. The Riverworld series. Sci-Fi the Channel. Sci-Fi the Channel, excuse me, yes. Uh, trying to find an adaptation for Riverworld. And there was something that I thought was funny. I um, I started listening to the the podcast we had done way back when. It was our 12th episode we had done. Um, and I listened a few minutes and I was like, oh, no, I'll, I'll just, I'll, I, I won't get affected by this. I'll just uh, go in fresh with um, the differences in these. But there was one thing that made me laugh was we had been talking about the reviews and one person's review of the 2003 was uh, Liverworld was the, was the uh, was the review, uh, and then so I looked up some other uh, reviews for this one, and I have two that I really like. You tell me um, which is a better uh, review. One is called River Rubbish, <laughs> and uh, the second one I think is a little more succinct. Crap World. <laughs> this is really tickling your Mad Magazine cracked addiction. Yes. Yeah, it really is. I just, I now I'm trying to wonder what I like better, Liver World or Crap World. I think Liver World is still much funnier. That that's very mad, mad comics. I can I can see you reading these and just like having a little giggle to yourself. Yeah, yeah, it was it was good. Anyways, I think the the general consensus I should say is, no one really liked the 2003 version, and no one really liked the 2010 version. Now I will argue it may not have as much to do with what this actually is on screen as much as people who really like. The books don't like that both of these are uh, quite different than what they're used to in the books mm-hmm. and, and the uh, the characters in the stories. Well, this one was written by two DS9 writers. Uh, so I saw that. We yeah. have Robert Hewitt Wolf and Hans Blemmer. Who, I'm probably not pronouncing this right. Were two, were two of the writers on this. Uh, the third writer, of course, was the writer of Surf 2 and the Cutting Edge 3, Randall <laughs> Baddett. Um, 
So those are yeah. the pedigree we've got coming into this is uh, some Deep Space Nine writers and, and another another nice gentleman, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and I think the director did something funny as well. I was I was looking at something. Um, I'll look it up while you're uh, while you continue. Well, uh, yeah, that was about it. It was kind of that seems to be the big selling point was uh, was these uh, writers who had come up with some hot sci fi properties. I actually remembered it while I just said it. Uh, the director also directed uh, your favorite of the Ninja Turtles movies, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles three. Ah, uh, yes, the one where they go back to medieval <laughs> Japan. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I don't know if I ever actually saw that. Yeah, I don't think I've seen the third one either. I think I, I stopped after two because, you know, once you get the ninja rap, you're done. Um, let me just tell you the, the tagline in the movie here. It says, Ancient Japan, 1993. Uh, or Sorry, 1593. That makes more sense. Without a map, without a clue, without a pizza. Oh, they don't have a pizza, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, anyway. That's not what we're talking about. No, no. Well, I mean... Let's start getting into this, I guess. I don't really have a lot of background on this. There wasn't a lot that I was able to dig up on it. It seems mostly just like uh, sci-fi had the rights. They were sitting on them for Mm -hmm. a little while, and they were like, five years later, seven years later, let's take another crack at it and see if we can crack this open as a miniseries rather than a TV series. Yeah. And um, Jordan, it was released on April 18th, 2010. Got a couple mm. things here for you. On April 14th, so four days before this, uh, there was the volcanic eruption in Iceland that disrupted all that air travel in, 20, in 2010. Do you remember that? Oh, that's right. Yeah, it was just like the sky was black. Yeah, yeah. So people couldn't get anywhere to their destinations. They were trapped at hotels and they were just like, well, let's see what sci-fi's got for me tonight. <laughs> and they were like, uh, I guess this. And then a couple days later, April 20th, was the uh, Deepwater Horizon explosion uh, that resulted in the Horizon oil spill. Oh, but that was off the, the west coast of North America? Yeah, yeah. They have the mm. um, Mark Wahlberg film about it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that's funny. And, I mean, this is also probably important, Jordan. So it's, it's 2010. What mm. are you doing for your birthday in 2010? Oh, 2010. What would I have been doing? So I was 18? <laughs> You'd be 28, Jordan I'd be 28, oh jeez Good thing I don't work with numbers for a living uh, When I was 28, I, I don't remember what I was doing I had a 30th surprise party, but I didn't know that was coming yet It was really a surprise two years previous Why, what happened? No, I'm just saying I had a surprise party when I was 30 But I don't remember when I, what happened when I was 28 No, but what happened on the 30th? What, was, what do you mean it was such a surprise? It was a surprise party Someone threw me a party. So I, that's it. I thought you you just implied it was like far more surprising than expected. No, 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 no. Well, they're always they always should be surprising because you don't know the party is happening. <laughs> I don't know. This seems this seems like there's there's a disconnect. I don't know why. It's a surprise I'm party. Sorry. It's surprising. You just set it up in such a way that I was just like, oh, what happened? Something very surprising. Yeah, I uh, I uh, ended up. I woke up in the morning with a tattoo on my face. Yeah, I just thought maybe like you flew somewhere and like you were at a hotel and suddenly all your best friends were there. No, no, it was, it was, it was less than that. <laughs> Anyways, it's not really a story. <laughs> but the, the point is, I don't know what was happening at 28. Do you remember what was happening your 28th birthday? I, I tend to uh, have trouble with milestones. Well, 28 isn't a milestone, so you're pretty good there. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it's a good question. It's hard. It's hard to think back that far, isn't it? Yeah. I'll, I'll consult my calendars and diaries and get back to you. Do you remember what you're doing at your 18th? <laughs> my 18th. Would have been 1999, so I was partying like it was 1999. Nice, nice. Now, uh, as a setup to Riverworld, uh, we're going to find out in this that uh, people who die end up in Riverworld, but they end up a younger version of themselves. But I was confused as to 
uh, how not how this works because obviously it's a science fiction concept, but how they chose what young means. Like, do you think you and I, both being 40, over 40 now, do you think we would come back looking like this or would it be more like our, our 2010 versions? Well, we'll get into it in a second, but given the casting choices they made for the young versions of people, I would yeah. say you come back at about 35 to 42. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Which I thought also an odd choice for coming back as young. Like, it's not... <laughs> As young as you could come back, probably not at your peak. Yeah, you would assume like 28. Yeah, you just think before your body started to start, uh, you know, having <laughs> aches and pains. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, oh, I'm glad to be back at 40. Oh, my back is still sore. <laughs> anyway, let's get into it. Here's the NDB summary for Riverworld. Welcome to Riverworld, a place of strange, watery beauty, and the current of bode of a fascinating cast of the recently... And not so recently dead. <laughs> it certainly is in heaven, but it just might be hell. No, I don't know if it's uh, it's it's how it was written that was funny or your reading of it, but that was terrible. It's a very odd summary. I also read it was like, hmm, interesting. <laughs> um, I mean, it kind of it kind of gives you the the basic idea, but but I'll say the the general idea is we're gonna find out people die. And they come back on this uh, planet or this universe or dimension. You're not quite sure what. It's a first. river world, Jordan. It's, it's a, a river, river world. world. Um, but yeah, but what that means, we're not sure. Um, and it and it, di- different people from different time periods, different uh, cultures, different backgrounds all sort of show up at this place. Yeah, yeah that's what river world is. But it starts mm-hmm. in Singapore. Yeah, and let me just say, we're the one thing that's different. We won't have to talk too much about the last time we uh, we had watched this, the two thousand three version, but they've chosen for the second time to not give the actual main character of these books, who is Richard Burton, who's in this, but he they've decided to make him a villain. Um, they've created a whole new character, as if there wasn't probably enough characters in the book, because they're like, well, we need our new lead, and it's this, it's it's cool guy reporter who fights the system, Matt Elman. Yeah, yes, he's our war reporter. He's hanging out with his cameraman Simon Porter, and they're they're off to Singapore to interview a dangerous group of rebels. That's how we begin. That's how we get to know this guy. Mm-hmm. And he's he's played by uh, Matt is played by the Battlestar Galactica and Dollhouse actor. Uh, I'm gonna mispronounce this as I always do, but Tamo Pinkett. Yeah, I, I've seen him in a few things. I think he's a, a, a fine actor. I will say this: I hate his character in this. I don't know well, what it's supposed to be. Well, they're not doing any favors with the writing no, in this. There's no question, but he's just like he's kind of angry and kind of mean or something. I don't know. I just his character is it's very hard to I find to engage with him. He's not. It's not that he's angry and mean. It's that he is a saint. He there's he's never done anything wrong. He is the mm. perfect human being and everyone else around him is just like in his shadow. So he's always like self-righteously correct at all times. Mm, that's interesting. You, you, you might be right about that. It's a hard thing for a character to be cuz it's just like I'm not saying you make him like so flawed and like he's got so much to overcome, but he's just like it makes him so difficult to like because he's just like better than you. He's just, like, right all the time. Well, I'll say one thing, and we'll talk about it later. He does have a skeleton in his closet, Luke. Yeah, but does he, Jordan? He doesn't seem to care at all. (laughs) Well, uh, yeah, maybe. 
Anyway, he finishes this uh, interview with these dangerous rebels that he's gone to get, and afterward he goes to see his uh, girlfriend, a tour group guide named Jesse, who has brought a group of retirees to a very busy nightclub in Singapore? Well, I'll say I thought the same thing because it's supposed to be that she's this like great tour guide and the implication is she has met Matt at some point in his travels for work and they are now a couple of some sort. Um, But yes, she's brought quite older people to a place that doesn't seem like it catered to them, but they have to really put out that like they love her and they love what she's doing. And so they're having a good time. I was like, I guess she knows more than I do. Yeah, it feels like they're her aunts and uncles, the amount they love her and the amount they care about her relationship. But you come to find out they are just people she's giving a tour of Singapore to and has seemingly brought them to a place they would not enjoy, but they're having a great time, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. And and they, they give you a couple little uh, snippets of their personality because, um, as we will find out in the next few minutes... Um, when these people do wake up on Riverworld, they're their younger version. So you really need to be able to clock it because they look nothing alike. So you'd be like, oh, it's it's Steve. He's got glasses. Yeah, he, he was like that before. <laughs> at any rate, Matt meets Jesse at the nightclub, and they're all excited. The retirees are all excited to see her. Yeah. And Matt has a plan. He's going to propose to Jesse that night in front of the retirees, I guess, which is a weird choice. Yeah. But, but it's done a very weird way, right? Because so Simon comes in with champagne. Like, he's basically like, hey, Jesse, I meet you on the dance floor. They start making out on the dance floor. Everyone's into it. Simon shows up with a bottle of champagne. And he's like, no, Simon, not now. And she's like, what? And then there's like a, a young younger girl. I would say probably supposed to be a teenager. Well, that's what's so weird is he turns around and in the middle of the busy nightclub... They apparently have lit a street vendor into the dance floor. Like, a street vendor yeah. from the streets of Singapore has been allowed into a nightclub onto the dance floor to sell jewelry to foreigners. And and what's funny about it is that he clearly knew he was going to be proposing to her because he's met her there specifically for that. And his friend has brought champagne to celebrate, but he didn't decide to get a ring. Did he just know that that girl was going to be around? And he's like, I'll just wait till she's on the dance floor. Yeah, it seemed like he had no intention of giving her a ring, but then when the the street vendor who appeared in the middle of the dance club with rings uh, is there, he's like, well, I gotta seize the opportunity. He walks over and buys a ring, but uh-oh, she's also a suicide bomber. <laughs> um, yeah, and <laughs> she's a suicide bomber, um, which we do see, like, kind of um, intercut shots earlier of her, like, getting prepared, like, making the bomb and strapping it to herself. And what I what I was hoping she would say is, bottoms up. Before she blew the blew the bomb up. What I thought was funny is she's a suicide bomber who I guess is posing as a jewelry vendor to get into this nightclub. Yeah. But she does take the time to sell him a ring before she decides to explode. <laughs> business is business. At any rate, everyone at the nightclub is very violently killed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it explodes. They're all dead. And then you think it would be a thing where like it'd be a cut scene because you kind of know what's going to be happening. But... <laughs> They chose to actually show us the ball dead in the rubble, which I thought was an interesting choice from the director. It was very funny. I thought it was also funny is like Matt is literally standing next to her when she explodes. And then we cut and Matt's like the only one alive in the rubble for like five for five seconds. So he can look to like Jesse's body and be like, oh, no, my my love. And then he dies. I'm like, he would be vaporized. He would just be bits <laughs> strewn across a wall. 
So you wanted it to just just be his eyeball? His eyeball like just kind of moves and looks towards it's a her. Little, a single tear. <laughs> That's even funnier. <laughs> At any rate, we all know because Jordan's let us know he's gonna yeah. wake up on River World, and he finds himself on a slab filled with water, surrounded by thousands of other people on slabs, and you know something's up. Well, and it's interesting. I remember uh, from the first time we watched uh, the 2003 version, he had died in, I believe he was a pilot or an astronaut or something, right? And he had exploded and he woke up in like a gel pod, kind of similar to like a matrix type thing. This yeah, thing was an orb for, of some sort. Yeah, an orb. Yeah. And this one, it's, be, it's more like your classic, like almost abduction sort of table. Like he's on a glowing water table, um, naked with like a little like loincloth on. Yeah, yeah. Like borrowed from X-Files or First Wave or something. <laughs> Yes, and and it is one thing that I think um, hurts this show a little bit, and it's not maybe a fair criticism, is that this show is very generic looking. And there seems to be very uh, lack of creativity or care taken into things like this. Like, there's nothing terribly visually interesting or evocative or different. Everything's just like, yeah, you've seen this before. It's like they're just like, it's like a paint-by-the-numbers visually kind of science fiction show. Yeah, the orb under the water in the last one, because like, what we saw was a bunch of orbs like on the bottom of a, of a river full of people. Far more interesting to look at than this very generic, just like, yeah. it's bodies on slabs. You're like, so? Like, it really yeah. doesn't evoke much. But then a member of the Blue Man group floats <laughs> in above him. Yeah, it's a um, it's a woman wearing a cloak. Uh, she's she's You can barely see her face, but she's blue. Um, she's and, mostly blue when they cut to close-ups they obviously couldn't paint the inside of her yeah. lips so it looks like she's just been painted blue. it's not a great look and i will mention that uh, you have to forgive it but later on um uh she accidentally wiped some of the, the blue off too in one of the shots i was like ooh. i was watching this just being like i get it maybe in the book they're described as blue and i'm not saying you can't make them blue i guess but i it just was such a bad like you could have done anything and like it was just like this is the choice you went with. Yeah. It was it was like Star Trek the original series kind of level like makeup sort of thing. Um but uh so she comes over, she's like hovering, floating over um Matt, and we kind of get the implication that he's having memories still or she's bringing about the memories. We kind of see a lot of clips of um them as a couple, him and Jesse. And this is going to be like the crux of like his journey or his um main goal is to find jesse i'm going to argue i don't think anyone cares and about them as a relationship nor do we like do they establish anything that makes you interested in them but the point is it's like it's it's who he really loves Jordan, they're both generically beautiful <laughs> i agree but it's like they do they don't do anything beyond that that's and all that's all you need want to get them back together we want to see two generically beautiful people with nothing in common finally yeah. get together for no spark yeah well exactly so blue person's like she's like we have found you and she like touches his we find that everyone has like a restraint sort of thing or like a bracelet on their wrist they have um, a quote it, grail band jordan a, a grail, grail band, band. <laughs> Um, I'm gonna get someone from who really likes the book angry at me again, um, and uh, and it will dis and it disappears, and then she doesn't touch it though. She has a floating crystal orb that's that correct. Lasers it off. <laughs> yeah, and and they seem to use these a lot. I'm gonna guess this is probably something from the books. They don't explain it, nor do they really need to. But there's a lot of like floating orbs that seem to make things disappear. Well, my understanding is these these blue men. They're care called the caretakers, is what they're mm-hmm. called. 
is uh, they don't appear to physically manifest in this world. So I think the orbs are there to like provide them with like a physical presence, like to, when they need to interact with something. Um, a couple quick things I want to mention. So apparently in the the first book, it's a lot more sort of left to your imagination as to who these people are, and they're like barely in it. And, and as the books go on, this series you find more about the world, and it kind of explains it. They chose to put them in because obviously it's something people know and like. I don't know if it was a great idea or if it's even needed in this to have them kind of like come around and like Jedi spirit the the sort of plot along. I don't know. Did you think they were they were useful? I didn't remember them from the first movie and I was a little confused by them. I mean, they set the stakes of the world in a very like Lost-esque. Like this feels so much like 2010. It's got mm. shades of Lost, shades of Battlestar Galactica in the casting and then kind of how it's shot. A frustratingly annoying like this period of television is so uh, bad due to its constant need to attempt to comment on 9-11 and like Iraq in the most uncomfortable ways uh, that are just so awkward and like not smartly done and this this just reeks of just like guys remember the Iraq war we're talking about it here and like are you though I don't think you are <laughs> It is funny because I, I clock that as well. It's like, I think it, it's in a couple scenes. Someone was just like, they're like, hey, I, I, what'd you die? He's like, 9-11. He's like, oh my gosh. Like That's okay. later in it. But yeah, they. it's not even that. It's not even like to talk to the guy. Someone points to someone coming out of the room. It's like, I know that guy from work. He died in the Twin Towers. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> they should have been, he died in 9-11. Like, in, in the Twin Towers, like, no, upstate. And it's just crazy because they're just like, well, let's not talk to him again. I just wanted to point him out to let you know we remember. We don't forget. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting that you said that. I didn't really um, clock that that was sort of a time period thing. It just, it stuck out to me like a like a sore thumb. And I was like, but I, di I didn't connect that. That's just of this period that that was in it is, TV, you know? Think about it. It's the suicide bomber who uh, yeah. later will come up in Riverworld and she'll apologize for everything she's done because she was mm. misled by leaders who were lying to her. And... It's all this thing where, like, everyone's apologizing to Matt for their, like, crimes against North America. And Matt just like, we're the best and you should apologize. And it's just like, the fuck is happening here? Well, there is a what point we're going to get to very, very soon. Um, because you want to keep going? Yeah, yeah. Well, Matt's, Matt's going to we, we now cut to him after she sort of, like, zaps him a little bit. He cut to him. He's underwater. Um, he sees another guy floating as well, which is interesting is, though. He's very confused, and I think I'm sure he can't even tell what is up and down. He doesn't really try to save this guy. It's just like he's confused. He sees someone else on the water. He swims to the top, and my note was he swims, and he's on the shore of Vancouver. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I, me too. I'm like, hey, he's in British Columbia slash River yeah. World. Yeah, it's it's so clear. And uh, uh, I like that he immediately uh, goes up, and there's like a woman just trying to start a fire. There's a couple things where because they shot in the beach like everything seems very close i think it's not supposed to be close but you can see people like 10 feet away and they're like getting food and stuff and there's like a lady trying to like light a fire i'm like just just walk over to those people they're just like 50 feet away well when she meets he meets this woman uh, she reveals yeah. she's deborah one of the exploded tour group who was, who was there <laughs> but of course as we've said she's young now so it's a yeah. it's a bit different and they go for a little walk and they wake their way toward this uh orb device that's just firing electricity into mm -hmm. the air no no again uh a Weirdly, I remembered more about this, the 2003 version that I remembered. In that, it was like an obelisk, right? There was this big um, thing that they came up to and they weren't sure how to 
open it. Remember there was like a Neanderthal man? Um, yeah, I was missing and, the Neanderthal man this time. I was like, I kept waiting for the Neanderthal man to come out and there was no Neanderthal man. Agreed. And I, I weird again to say it is I think the obelisk was, again, more interesting looking. It was sort of like alien in some way or very slick. And this is just, it looks like, I don't even know what it looks like. It's just like like a like an old like World War II mine on top of like a platform. I just, I just yeah, it looks it like look something good. you see at the World Fair in 1920, and Tesla's yeah. <laughs> showing you how uh, alternating current works. Exactly, yeah. Um, but yeah, they see this orb, and obviously they're at this place. There's a bunch of other dead people climbing out of the river, including others from this exploded tour group, like um, Deborah's husband, Daniel, who's another mm-hmm. Battlestar Galactica actor. That's right. Um, all, all the big wigs from Vancouver's acting scene are in this. Yeah. And then there's also Hal, who's a history professor who was blown up at the nightclub. So the the old gang, this people in this tour group are this old gang, and they're all getting back together. Did we mention there's a guy from September 11th? Yes. Well, this is where they said Daniel points. And I was like, hey, I know that guy from work. He he died. I'm like, what is uh, – yeah, I, I'm, we're not getting back into that. There, there should have been a seed where they were like – they're like, there's a, there's a man from the military. He died in, our, uh, in Iraq fighting for our freedom. And they're like, thank you for our service. I mean, they sent a should have. Like, that's what's happening. It's yeah. insane. Anyway, they're, they're all gathering. And, they, you know, obviously they all have lots of questions. No one knows how they got there. And all the all the retirees, the, n- the newly young retirees are, like, turning to Matt for answers. And, you know, Matt doesn't know anything either. But what he does know, because he says, he's like, I don't know, except, quote, right now we just have to act like this is real. I was like, what the f- what do you mean? What does that I mean? He, he is saddled with some of the worst dialogue we've heard in quite some time. And there's a lot of stuff like that. Like, I think it's supposed to be maybe not so much cryptic, but I think it's like a man of few words, right? And and he'll say things and you go, but what? what? Like, he, and it's a lot of that stuff like that. Like, it's not how a normal human would talk. Like, he'd be like, I'm just as confused as you are. Let's just keep going as, and we f- we'll find out more stuff. Well, like, it's, like, just, it's like... One of the characters was panicking, was like, maybe this is all a dream I'm having. And he, like, Matt talked him down by being like, we can't act like that right now. Let's just, like, I know this is insane, this world, but let's, like, but no one said anything. He's just like, let's just act like this is real. I'm like, why wouldn't I do that? And then that line is followed up by one of the tour group turns to him and says, it's like, sorry that Jesse's not here, Matt, um, but you don't have to do this. And I was like, don't have to do what? Like he hasn't offered to do anything. Are you like? I just didn't know what they like. Yeah. The lines are inexplicable. People just say things that are yeah. unrelated to anything that was said previously. I thought the same thing, and I, I wrote that down too. I think, and this is weird to say, I think it's like an older version of a script that's just still floating around, and they just went with it, and no one stopped and said, "Does this make any sense?" It's like no one was looking at the monitor or paying attention while they were filming. Yeah, I think the implication is the tour group is like, you don't have to be our tour guide anymore because Jesse's gone. You d- Like, that's the implication. But even that, I'm just like, if you woke up on a random world and the only people you knew were the people you exploded with five minutes ago, you're definitely just going to hang out with those people. Like, I don't understand. Well, we're going to meet another character. Uh, I'm going to pronounce the, the character's name wrong, I think. it's Is it Tomo Gozen? Yeah, Tomo Gozen, our first historical figure who pops up. Mm-hmm. Because that is obviously what these books are famous for, I think, or at least yes. the shows we've watched is they're littered with the uh, famous dead who they team up with to do adventures. Yeah, and I did see, <laughs> did some reading I was doing today. Um, and apparently, one of the books, uh, Jesus, is in there. Sweet. <laughs> and I was like, guys, you should have done that. Like, super helpful. You're all hungry. I mean, he's going to be making. Uh, he's going to be dividing those breads. You know. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but but Tomo Gozen is, uh, I looked into it, she's a, a famous Japanese warrior woman. Mm-hmm. And in, in this, she's she's that, but they don't really bring that up. They more talk about how she's a Buddhist nun from medieval Japan. Um, and she's, she's going to join them to... Uh, Fill out the fill out this very large crew of people that Matt's going to hang out with. Yeah. Listen, it's not my place to comment on these things. I I not a hundred percent sure about the casting of this Japanese woman. I I would don't agree. Think did a great job uh, in both casting a actual Japanese woman and um, the accent she's doing is British, maybe. Yeah. It's it's not great. Um. I think we could just leave it at that. Yeah. I I looked into it. It's not that she doesn't have any credibility but she is herself not japanese so it was just an odd an odd choice and when you look at her you you're definitely not going to be like oh this woman's from medieval japan for sure yeah there there is an also um uh, a similar sort of thing later on we're going to meet uh, like some conquistadors and and they have some people that uh seem to be spanish and there's one guy who gets a couple lines and he just sounds like he's from like new jersey and it made me laugh I took that to mean that like the conquistadors are just taking on anyone now. <laughs> uh, I don't think so. Maybe maybe you're right. You might be giving a little more credit. But anyways, we meet um, t- uh, Tomo, and uh, she comes in. I, I like it was one of my favorite conversations. Is like she basically she meets Matt, and she says, and she's like, like, am I dead? And he's like, who knows? Yeah. And they're like, anyways, and he's like, anyways, we can all speak English. And I like the way they talked around it. There was so many ways they could do it because. We're going to find out all the characters speak English in this. Obviously, it's much easier for an English audience to be not having uh, subtitles or not having to deal with the challenges narratively of having these characters not be able to communicate, which apparently is, I think I read was a thing in the books, um, is an interesting idea. But they're, uh, they've just like, they're like, well, the one character's like, you know, most people speak English. So it'd make more sense that uh, whoever put us here would just rewire, rewire us all to speak English. I was like, sorry, what was that? Yeah, they really hand wave over that real quick, which I was also just like, do we need this explanation? Yeah. I thought for sure she was going to say, aren't you guys speaking Japanese right now? I thought the exact same thing. But then she's like, yeah, I woke up this morning. I knew how to speak English for some reason. I'm like, okie dokie. Yeah. And I was like, but English with a possibly offensive uh, accent, I've noticed. Just certainly an accent that is uh, incorrect. (laughs) that's the thing it's not that she's necessarily offensive it's that it's just like it is all historically incorrect well i'm going to mention something else that made me laugh and this is just something that i noted um and it's not important at all but he introduces himself to as matt her everyone calls him matt he's credited as matt she is from 800 years ago and she only refers to him as matthew and i thought that was so funny (laughs) because i was like she would never have known the name matthew no one has referred to him as that, but they have her him her call him that. I think as a way to be like to accentuate that this she's like so formality. Old-timey. Yeah, but it's like it makes no sense, and it just made me laugh every time. She's like Matthew, Matthew. I'm like she wouldn't know. What I liked is when we meet her. She's pulling seaweed out of the river and That's she's right. putting it in a pot to cook. But a scene before this, uh, what we've seen is Matt has gone to the Grail with one of the retirees, and or the Grail, the the lightning ball thing. And what yeah. they realize is Matt doesn't have that Grail bend because the uh, the caretaker took it off him. But yeah. the retiree does, and when he taps it against the electricity ball, it gives him a little canister, and it's full of the food he wants to eat. Like the the machine can read his mind and produce food he wants to eat, basically. Which is meatloaf. 
Meatloaf is what he wants. It's actually, it, there's a funny sequence too where like you see some old timey woman, she's got her own canister and some modern man comes to steal it from her. Like he's going to steal her food. Yeah. Although I was just like, why he can get his own for free. But Matt just takes it from him and then shoves him really hard. Yeah. Well, I like he, he shoves him really hard because he, as you're saying, he's like a white knight. And then he just points at the guy. I like that. Like off camera, the guy doesn't come back and see. He just points at him like, you be careful. But at any rate, Matt has now discovered with this rune retiree that, like, you just go to this thing, show your grail band, it'll give you food. And then he immediately walks back and meets Tomo and the rest of the cast, who are making seaweed in a pot, which I don't know where they, they just have a pot suddenly. They just ha- they've arrived yeah. in this world and they have a pot for their stove. Whatever, that's confusing, doesn't make any sense. But Matt comes back from knowing where to get food, and he allows them to sit there and eat seaweed when he could easily tell them to walk five feet and get food. <laughs> Again, it was my point to earlier, the way it's shot and blocked, it's supposed to be, I think, quite a large beach, but it does seem like you could just like walk a few feet and you could go, go get yourself whatever, whatever your uh, heart desires. Even if it was yards away, Matt now knows it's available and he does nothing to stop them from eating that seaweed. <laughs> well, he was too blown away that they could all speak English. Anyway, we'll keep going. Uh, next, Matt hears some guy, he's, he's shouting for someone named Jessica. He's like, he just hears a man yelling, Jessica. Mm-hmm. And naturally, he thinks this random man searching for someone named Jessica is looking for his girlfriend, Jessie, who that's the only thing she's been called so far as Jessie. And he's just like, well, if he's saying the name Jessica, that must be my girlfriend, Jessie, he's looking for. And incredibly, he is correct. (laughs) And again, this is kind of the beginning of his drive as a character is to find this girl. And again, it's it's so uninteresting. And it's and he's he's so incredibly driven as well. Like, like you're saying, like if someone just says they, he's like, what, what? It's her. I need to find her. I'm like, why? A similar name, not even the name she goes by. <laughs> That's right. But it is. And it, this person is, uh, uh, Richard Burton, obviously the explorer. Um, no, and... no, no, Jordan. No, it's Richard Burton. They introduce him as, and he'll be Richard Burton for the entire show. And they do not clarify that it's Richard Burton, the explorer until the final five minutes of this. I was just like, why is Richard Burton, the actor, the villain of this? Why is why is two-time husband of Elizabeth <laughs> is that Taylor what you thought? I thought it was the Richard bad guy? Burton. Oh, that's funny. No, no, I, they I knew never it was specify. Burton. They never specify. And the most famous Richard Burton is the actor. They don't specify to the final five minutes of the show. Well, I mean, I'll give them this. I think it's, it's maybe not their fault that there's been two famous Richard Burtons. But yes, it's 2010. Re- Which Richard Burton is more famous? <laughs> It depends on the person, I suppose. But he also um... has a British accent. What are you supposed to think? <laughs> I like how angry you are about it. I knew who it was. Um, but he is the um, uh, he is the the uh, protagonist, uh, the main character of the Ant- books. Antagonist. Antagonist. Excuse me. Oh, yes, you're right. I'm Ant- sorry. In this, he's the antagonist. In the books, he's. The... Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yes, he's the protagonist of the books. He's the antagonist in this, and it's interesting that two times. I think they it's almost as if they were like we can't have an English character be the hero. Like it is a weird change when you're when you're adapting a book. I think what it is is that in 2010 explorer Richard Burton, you know, we're not quite at the period of time where we're doing a full reckoning on the concepts of colonization yet, but I wonder mm. if they were just like eh, maybe this isn't the hero we need today. Perhaps maybe maybe you're right. I that think said, it's... not that Matt fulfills that role at all in any more of a better way <laughs> i think it's just more they're like we need like an all-american uh tough guy lead that's what i think i mean you probably are correct <laughs> yeah 
anyways, they meet each other. Um, it doesn't, they, he, basically, Richard does not want to talk with Matt. Matt's like, hey, Jesse, do you know Jesse? And what happens is he, like, he pushes Matt down, and he's like, forget about Jesse. It's not going to happen. And then just knocks him out easily. And I was like, well, that's one for Richard. Well, and Richard also, he's bandless. He, he's unbound. True. He has no grail band. So they, they're both special and uh, both looking for Jesse, it turns out. But yes, after Matt is immediately knocked unconscious, we get, we get some unconscious flashbacks. And these uh. will come up throughout the whole show, but we'll talk about them now. This is what you were referring to earlier, his skeleton mm-hmm. in his closet. It's about the time that Matt, as a war correspondent, visited a mass grave in Chechnya and then ran over a 10-year-old girl <laughs> with a car. It was it was weird because I don't know why those two things were connected. Like, I understand the story because basically what it is, is he's, he's paid someone off to get this sort of scoop that there's these mass graves. Him and Simon are having the moral conversation about should they even be filming this thing because it's clearly people have been massacred. It's a horrible thing to see. Uh, he wants to film it. And then, like, some sort of, like, uh, scuffle fighting starts happening. So he's rushing out. And while he's rushing out in his vehicle, he hits a young girl and kills her. Yeah. And this reveals, closer to the end, they finally reveal in these flashbacks, like they keep coming up throughout the show, and close to the end of this first part, they reveal that he ran over a 10-year-old girl (laughs) quite graphically. They hit her very graphically. It was very funny. Um, But (laughs) at no point do you feel like Matt has any remorse for it. They try to show a couple flashbacks where he's just like, I feel sad, and his girlfriend's like, don't worry about it. What you do is more important than, a gir- than the life of a 10-year-old girl. It, it was weird they had to have that because they, they took the time to add in this flashback scene where he says, people keep telling me it's fine, but it's not fine. I've done this terrible thing. And then she's like, it's fine, man. <laughs> like, you've moved on. And she said at one point, she's like, if you don't, like, get over it, you've wasted two lives. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I guess that's true, but, like, ugh. To be fair, I don't think his character even feels much remorse. Like, it doesn't appear to have, it doesn't have, no. seem to have any effect on him. Like, he carries no burden from it. Yeah. So, but, but that's sort of like his, um, the, the, as we said, the skeleton in his closet. And there is this, I guess it's, I don't know if it's quite explicitly said. Maybe, maybe, uh, you'll correct me, but there's sort of this implication that there is a second chance, sort of an atonement, um, that you can have on this river world, um, if you've had something that you need to have have fixed in some way, whether it maybe just be internal. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, I mean, that kind of comes up in the next scene because when he wakes up from being knocked unconscious, he finds a, a different member of the Blue Man group standing over him, <laughs> reading his mind. Yeah. This, this character is different from the female character who woke him up. Um, but he, he explains to Matt as he wakes up that... Um, there are going to be caretakers and those in power who are going to try to convince Matt to kill Richard Burton and that he mm-hmm. shouldn't kill Richard Burton even though they're going to want him to. Um, and as soon as the, this caretaker finishes telling him not to kill Richard Burton, one of those floating crystals appears and lasers him till he turns invisible and I assume dies. Yeah, and it's a different of these cloaked person and she's all like, hey, hey, remember we spoke earlier? I'm a caretaker here to watch you. That guy's bad. I know we look the same. We're both blue and we've got cloaks, but he's bad. He's a salvationist and a traitor. He wants you to protect him. I need you to fight and kill Burton because he's bad. And then she, like, disappears. And it sort of lets this thing of, like, oh, there's people kind of pulling the strings. There's these two factions of, I'm going to say alien, just for lack of a better term, two factions of this alien race that are trying to have the people... Uh, have some sort of proxy war on their behalf for reasons unknown. 
let me break that down for you if you like. You're right there. There are the uh, two factions. There's the Salvationists, mm-hmm. the one who just died, who wants to keep Richard Burton alive. And there are the Second Chancers. That's the female uh, okay. caretaker who is in charge of taking care of um, Matt. Salvationist is a better name. Yeah, the Salvationists for Second Chancers. If you're just going by name, you know which way you're yeah. going. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and throughout the, they'll sort of later in the movie they'll explain what's happening but I'll just do it now for us is essentially she explains that Riverworld was created for humans to atone and as you've said to get a second chance to achieve perfection that was the purpose mm-hmm. of Riverworld the Salvationists these these break off sect of uh, their their group of people this group of aliens believe that the plan of Riverworld has failed and that now that Riverworld needs to be destroyed like the idea of second chances wasn't possible now we need to just destroy riverworld and because of some rules that have been put in place around riverworld they can't intervene themselves so now both sides have been breaking quote the rules and choosing champions among the humans who they remove the grail bands to mark their champions uh, so their champions can't eat food I, i'm sure there'll be a reason we'll find out later <laughs> Yeah, it was a weird thing because you're right. They're like, these people are the best. They're like, oh, let's not enable them to do simple things that apparently are needed with this wristband. Yeah, I'm not quite sure. Maybe that will reveal that maybe there's some more control that happens from the wristbands. But these these champions basically are, as you said, they're fighting a proxy war on behalf of the two sects mm-hmm. who are fighting over the, like, uh, I guess, um, future of Riverworld. Yeah. That's just the plot idea, basically. <laughs> But the one interesting thing about it, if, if the planet is this idea of like atonement or this uh, second chance, I understand Matt, they've they've illustrated this thing. He had this little girl and maybe it's like he needs to come to terms with that and he needs to become a better person or save lives as sort of to make up for what he had done. But what about all these other people, like these old people who are just young now? We didn't We didn't find anything out about them. Like maybe they all have some sort of similar skeleton in their closet. But from all we see as a viewer, it's just people that happen to be around him. It is something that's different from the original one we watched, where some people were resurrected on Riverworld, but it wasn't Mm -hmm. everyone. This Riverworld, the implication is literally everyone who's ever walked the face of the earth is going to resurrect here. So whereas the other one felt like there were certain people selected and in in more of a mystery reason, we'll find out why they've Mm -hmm. all been brought to Riverworld. It wasn't that every human being ever has has been brought to life. Whereas in this t- miniseries version, it definitely feels like anybody ever you've ever met, you're going to bump into them on Riverworld. Yeah, and it is weird because, one, uh, y- the planet would be, you know, that beach would be way busier. And also, oh, yeah. I-, I think there's issues with time periods because they're going to play with it a little bit. And it was one of those things where I was like, I don't even know if you guys should mention it. Like, one of the characters is like, hey, you're here too? And he's like, yeah, I've been here for eight years. And he's like, what? And it's one of these things where I was like, I think this time timing is all messed up if everyone is here and they're they're appearing at different times and then they're killing each other and then they're waking up again in the water. I'm like, this is this is a mess. Yeah, it's, it's a bit confusing. And they're trying their best to explain it, but they're only making it more confusing, unfortunately. Like, yeah. they're sapping the mystery out of it, but leaving just like plot holes. Yeah. At any rate, we'll go back to the actual story. Um, Matt, basically, he he's going to go back. He's going to go meet up once this has all happened with the old gang to sort of figure out what to do next. Uh, this isn't important to the plot, but I really thought this scene was funny. As he goes back to meet Tomo, who's sitting around the fire, I assume, eating her seaweed. And uh, he sits down with her and he looks at her and he's just like, Hey, Tomo, you're way too hot to be a nun. Some dude must have wronged you, huh? And I, I'm like... What is wrong with this man? What is wrong with this? Like, literally, he's just like, you're too hot yeah. to be a nun. 
you must have become one because of some dude wronging you. And I'm just like, I hate this guy. But it's it's also written by some men, and then they were like, they have her say, you're absolutely right. <laughs> I am too hot to be a nun. You yeah. noticed. Thanks for noticing. <laughs> Thank you for your compliment. I also, I would look nicer if I smiled. <laughs> um, and, 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 and the same token, in the same way that Matt is just like, this is, this is like a character choice they make for Matt. At around the same point, the suicide bomber stumbles out of the river, and Matt gets so uppity with her, which you think he would have the moral high ground in a argument with a person who exploded him. But he's so uppity with her and just so demeaning to her. And you just like you you side with the suicide bomber where she's just like and and she's like left like her character's supposed to be like groveling. On, it's like this is in paradise. My religious leaders lied to me. America was right. I'm so sorry. I, like. I was just like, I hate these scenes. Like these next, these scenes of Matt meeting these people and like basically being like, I am the alpha male here and you all have to respect my opinion. <laughs> well, it's on a separate note. What I liked about this scene is just before a uh, suicide bomber uh, woman shows up, he's explaining what he does for a living to a Tomo. And he's just like trying to explain what like a reporter on TV is. And I like that to do that to someone who is from hundreds of years before you. There's so many steps you have to explain. And it's like, why even bother? And I don't think she even really asked. But he's just like, I'm like a reporter. It's on television and cameras. Uh, I don't explain it. And she's like, I get it. Don't worry. And I was like, okay. <laughs> we haven't explained electricity yet. So I don't know if you'd get it. But Well, they do that scene again later with a different historical figure where Matt's like, I'm a war reporter. And he's like, and he starts explaining what that is. And the character stops him. He's just like, I know what a reporter is. Shut up. <laughs> Anyways, this is all a bit of a, a time wasting because the Spanish conquistadors are showing up. Yes, that's who excited? comes out. That's who comes out of the forest, and it's uh, led by Francisco Perizo, the governor general of Peru and conqueror of the Incas. So we get a, another historical figure has entered the fray. Mm-hmm. That's right. And everyone's freaked out. These conquistadors are all armed. They're there to like. They're there, I guess, probably to take them as slaves. I guess is what's happening. And don't worry, because one of the retirees who's young again daniel the uh, the husband of deborah he steps out of the fray and says i'm an american lawyer i'll handle this yeah and then is immediately slapped and then stabbed to death yeah yes um they they all are essentially uh very quickly the conquistadors kind of take everyone hostage and there's a, a little note that's made here and i don't know if it's even needed maybe it was it's gonna be more important later on but Matt, who had been knocked out previously, had like a cut on his face. And someone's like, hey, your cut's gone. He's like, huh, things heal faster here. Well, that's a bit that has come up here is what we kind of learn we, in, in scenes around. There's just a lot of scenes happening that don't connect. But um, with with Matt, this, this this guy who keeps calling himself an American lawyer when he tries to stand up to the conquistadors, <laughs> he's stabbed to death. But what we've already learned from a different scene is that on Riverworld, you don't just come back once. You yeah. apparently come back an undetermined amount of times. It's like a video game. You have many lives. And it'll become a problem throughout this thing is there's no threat of death, really. Like, they yes. stab Matt to death. And, like, he's not, like, he's dead to his wife's upset, obviously. It, it's sad that he's been killed. But, like, we, the viewer, are just like, all right, well, he'll be back. It's fine. And this becomes this running thing is, like, these characters are going to be threatened with death perpetually. Some of them will die. But there's no stakes to it. And, but well, they treat I, I, it as if it's permanent. Every time someone dies, it's like, can you believe they were killed? It's like, it doesn't matter. Remember how everyone comes back? 
Well, I think even adding to that, I think what also makes it even less important is that it's not as if everyone is going to age. Everyone is young. So it's not like you're going to die and we don't know how long it's going to take for you to resurrect and you're going to come back and the person that you're with has, you know, aged tremendously and now there's a, a, a challenge in your relationship. It's just like, hey, you'll come back in a, in a couple minutes, I guess, or a couple days. Everything's fine. You'll be young and beautiful and unharmed. Yeah, I mean, that's essentially it. So it's it's an odd, it's an odd piece. Um, this sort of comes into play, as you've said, as they get to the Conquistador camp as, as, as uh, hostages or slaves and... Um, they finally meet uh, the other the other guests from the tour group that we had seen at the beginning, uh, a mm-hmm. man named um, Francisco. Finally, and this is Hal's husband. Hal, Hal, we've also met. He they found him on the beach, and he reveals to them that he's actually been on Riverworld for eighteen months, and he I guess he's become a conquistador to survive in Riverworld. So the implication being that they've come to life all together, but he popped up eighteen months earlier, and they're like, "What do you know about Riverworld?" He's like, "Nothing. I have no further information for you." His name's Antonio, though, isn't it? Oh, is it Antonio? Sorry, I, my apologies. Antonio, yeah. yeah. My my apologies. Yeah. Um, but yes, he's kind of there just to let them know. It's like he's been, there's a time thing. If Jesse's alive, she may have been here for a lot longer than them, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, what they come to find out is uh, this uh, Parizo, he's been setting up a trap along the river, and that's what they're going to be put to work on as his slaves. He wants to catch a steamship that's going to pass on the river soon. He's setting this up, this ambush. This was also baffling. I mean, I guess it's because they've been taken captive, but Matt's like, we have to we have to ruin Parizo's plans. Everybody works slow and, like, subtly yeah. sabotage his ambush. And I'm just like, why, though? Like, you're just going to get in trouble, and you have no stake in either side of this right now like i just didn't understand why matt was so like insistent well i thought of a different plan they've already learned that you can die and be resurrected you're 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 now in essentially like a prisoner of war camp kill yourself and you're gonna wake (laughs) up out of the camp i mean i there's a much easier way out of this i don't know why no one did that well they have a scene where a guy says he's killed himself a bunch of times and it kind of sucks so they sort of said that that's their way of being like well you could do that but it's an inconvenience (laughs) Yeah, I mean, so is being shackled to a wall and having to, for some reason, shadow box while you're waiting. Yeah, well, we'll get to that. Parizo wants to meet with Matt because Parizo himself is also one of the unbound. He doesn't have his own grail band. And I guess he's kind of working. Parizo's kind of working for the Salvationists who want to destroy Riverworld. Except that Parizo also states his goal as being to conquer and rule Riverworld, which seems counterintuitive to what the side he's working for, but whatever. And he's like, hey, Matt, nice to meet you. I've met a lot of Americans on Riverworld, and they are all, quote, so noble in their hearts, end quote. <laughs> yeah. Uh, such such a post-9-11, post-Iraq war show the show. <laughs> yeah. At any rate, Parizo can't have Matt kicking around without his band on, because that means he's one of a, the champions. Even if Matt hasn't picked a side yet, he can't risk it. So as you said, Matt gets shackled to a wall. We're honestly for ten straight minutes. We have a montage where he is shadow boxing in shackles. Like it goes on yeah. forever. <laughs> yeah, it's just, and I guess it's like he's he's a tough guy. But I'm like, he's a reporter. Why did they have to make him like this, like this, like action hero? I'm like, wouldn't it be more interesting if he found something inside of him? to become the leader he wasn't before in life because he was just someone who watched news happens as opposed to, you know, intervened and, and 
progress things. I, this, it's a more interesting character uh, arc and development. No, they need to have him right all the time. He's self-righteous and always, always correct. He's the most unlikable character. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like, and also, there's two seats where he's he's brought in front of uh, Pizarro. Oh, by the way, I think is how it's pronounced. Um, uh, he's brought in front of him, and uh, like twice, and I was like, and it just felt like at this point, it's already starting to stall. I think we're like 45 minutes into the show at this point, and I'm like, oh, or they already don't know what to do with these characters that they've they've chosen to put in shackles. Yeah, yeah, no, they need to put him in shackles one time. Pizarro puts him in shackles in one time so he can shadow box and then also meet his old <laughs> cameraman, Simon, who's shackled right. next to him, but he doesn't notice for quite some time. Oh, and this is the wild. Is this where we, is this where we find out about the world? This is the best. They, he's, like, yeah. he's like, it's wild. Simon, what are you doing here? He's like, oh, I died six years after you in 2016. You know, when that UFO vaporized Earth. <laughs> I loved it. This was This was the best part. It's like, it, it of all the things to choose maybe this was in the book it's such a weird thing to just leave and dangle he's just like yeah that just happened anyways you really missed it yeah it was baffling baffling <laughs> uh so he needs to be put in shackles so he can meet his old cameraman so they can team back up and learn that yeah. the earth was vaporized by a ufo <laughs> and then, as you said he just gets back sent back to what's his name pizarro pizarro yeah he gets sent back to Pizarro so that Pizarro can now put him in a different cage. He's like, I'm putting yeah, right. you in a smaller cage. And he's put in that smaller cage for another extended period of time of a montage. And at some point, a conquistador, the very large uh, Jersey conquistador you mentioned earlier. <laughs> That's right. He overhears Matt talking to one of the invisible caretakers, mm-hmm. and he hears Matt saying the name Sam because the, uh, the caretaker's like, go find Sam when you get out of this cage. So the conquistador's like, hey, why are you saying the name Sam? And he kind of takes him out of the cage to rough him up a bit, at which point the suicide bomber jumps out of nowhere to stab the conquistador in the face and set Matt free as a way of, like, atoning for blowing up the uh, nightclub, I guess. <laughs> And then, yeah, and then she's like, I think she's killed, isn't she? But it's like, yeah. she's, yeah. She's, she's dead. I'm she's like, oh, who cares? She'll be back. <laughs> it's fine. <Yeah. laughs> Matt, of course, flees from the conquistadors. They're, they're in hot pursuit with Matt, with Richard Burton on a horse chasing after him. When a group of people dressed like French-Canadian voyeurs pop out <laughs> with muskets and drive them off and rescue Matt. Yeah. And, and who were they supposed to be? They're a historical group of people. I didn't. I didn't catch it. I couldn't tell you. I, they just. I'm just like these look like things from a textbook I read when I was eight. <laughs> the important point is they're driven off, and um, just when it seemed like things were going bad, and they take him uh, via canoe to this boat that we're going to see river on the boat. side of the boat. Yeah, the river boat. Finally, and it's called the Not for Hire, um, and uh, we're going to meet two characters. Well, we uh, finally same... meet Sam, who we're supposed to yeah. find. Yeah, and. Would you believe it? If you had seen the, the 2003 version, it's the only recurring character. It's Samuel Clemens, Mark Twain. Um, and then I like that he's... Wait, hold on. Before you yeah. move on. It's Mark Twain, but this has to be the beefiest portrayal of Mark Twain I have well, ever seen. He's so beefy. There's never been a beefy Mark Twain I've seen. I'm going to also say, I don't know this actor. He might be great, but he is doing... I'm I'm not from uh, Missouri or the, or the... I think that's where... Um, uh, Mark Twain was from, uh, or the South. It is one of the worst, I'll say, Missouri accents I've ever heard. It is, it's it's like watching if you were a kid and they're like, do a Southern accent. You're like, well, dear, dear, dear. It's, it's terrible. It's it, every scene he's in. I'm like, please, guys, stop this. 
I just wanted to see Mark Twain in his natural habitat of a UFC ring. <laughs> <laughs> he is he is very uh handsome and muscular and i think it's the, the reason they chose it is because he's he's just constantly wanting to have sex with the other woman on the boat uh and her name is i, I got her whole name which is allegra uh braccia forte de Vizin, be, de venezia yeah i mean they don't have to do much with her other than I, no they're like she's sexy she's an, that's her point she's a prostitute from the old times <laughs> i'm like okay and that's her only character trait. yeah and and she's and she'll like have sex with with Mark Twain at one point, and she's just, he's just like, oh, I can't believe how good you are at having sex with me. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. By the way, that's that's how good he sounds. Anyway, Mark Twain is another of the Unbound champions for the Second Chancer, so he's uh, theoretically mm-hmm. on the team that uh, Matt want, that Matt's been freed by, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, he at some point had tricked uh, Pizarro into building this steamship, and then he stole the ship from Pizarro and stole Pizarro's girl. So Pizarro doesn't like him very much. Yeah, well, it's not enough to steal someone's boat. That's one thing. But if you steal the girl too, that's 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 a maybe you say a uh, a river boat too far. That's, that's a river boat too far. It's nice to know that in 2010 on River World, our sexual politics have followed us there. <laughs> yeah. At any rate, the caretakers have given Mark Twain's riverboat a fusion reactor to power it via river water or whatever. So he's got a very fancy piece of alien technology. And Mark Twain's basically, his whole thing is he's traveling up river, hoping to find the source of river world, like the source of all these rivers. And maybe he'll find the creator of river world when he gets there. That's, that's what Mark Twain's up to. But I was like, does that make sense? Does that make sense at all? Like, it's like this world he's noticed... It's a series of rivers. Okay, great. He noticed that. And we are going to get a pull-out shot at some point that's going to actually show the planet. And you do actually see that it's a series of connecting rivers that sort of look like veins. And I think there's like two, like maybe moons that are floating outside to let you know it's not Earth. But he's looking for the center or whatever it is. But I don't understand how, why he thinks that's going to show him anything. It's like, I'm going to walk to the equator and then I'm going to find God there. It's like, why? Why would you think that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's just a motivation. He's like, I'm going to find the source of the river, and maybe that'll be how I find the craters of river world. Yeah, but it's like, but what if there is no, what if there is no, what if the world is just rivers flowing into rivers? There is no major basin of water. I want to float a bigger question I had logistically about this. Okay. So Mark Twain has said, my thing <laughs> is I'm traveling upriver on my riverboat to yeah. get to the source of the river. At some point in the past, I stole this boat yes. from Pizarro. How has Pizarro, on foot, on land, somehow gotten so far ahead of Mark Twain, who's been only traveling upriver away from him, in order to be able to build a fort and establish this ambush? I just, like, logistically, it seems like Mark Twain would be uncatchable for him. I would assume that every time there's, like, another river, he's like, another right. He just keeps like taking different turns, so he's just he's, like so maybe you think going, he's going a right. He's just circling. He's just doing a circle. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't matter. It just, it just something that entered my mind when I was thinking about. It. Luke, the more importantly, he's got like a whole like gambling room on the boat. <laughs> yeah, he's. I, we're not going to talk about them. I don't have time or patience. He's got a whole other set of characters on this. There's like a f- lady and a dude and a whole crew with him. So. Uh, just a whole new set of characters who get names, who get backstories that I w- yeah. will deal with maybe if they come back up in part two. I can't deal with them today. There's too many characters. I do like when he's talking to the one character uh, who uh, reveals that he's he's a Muslim. 
and I like he's like, why are you wearing that hat? And it's just like just this classic bat. He's just walking. He's like, why are you wearing that hat? He's like, well, I'm I'm Muslim as part of my faith. He's like, that's weird. Anyway, <laughs> America. I'm like, oh jeez, man. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, the plot mechanics that we need to know is that Matt is able to inform Mark Twain of the upcoming ambush so mark twain's like let's take a back river that skirts around the back of the camp so we miss the ambush yeah um and as they are passing by the back of the camp a lot of stuff has been happening at camp with our many other characters all the retiree tour group and tomo have had their own like weird side plot that is mostly has boiled down to deborah uh one of the tour group members (laughs) has attempted an assassination on uh pizarro in retribution for killing her husband she's failed who's not so pizarro's about to burn her at the stake yeah and this is a weird thing like i get they're trying to show that he's evil but like i i don't know my conquistador uh spanish uh rule of peru or whatever it is that he uh he's he uh sort of conquered um were they burning people at the stake i don't know it seemed like a lot of work for uh her assassination attempt was pretty half-hearted. Like, I, you know, just stab her where she stands. I don't know why I have to go to this trouble. Yeah. Um, but this allows Tomo, who has, in the meantime, been building herself a set of uh, medieval Japanese armor and swords to, I guess, she's, I want to say leading a rebellion, but she doesn't seem to have told anyone her plan. She just has come out with a bunch of swords, and she's fighting conquistadors. Everyone's jumping in. All, all our heroes that we've met, tour group people, cameramen, they're joining in. They're fighting back. Matt is coming by on a boat. He sees yeah. it. And he just jumps off the boat and runs over and joins with him. an axe. With an axe, though. Oh well, yeah, he grabs an axe. He's a he's a yeah. war reporter, Jordan. He knows how to war. Yeah, he comes in with an axe. I do like that. Um, uh, when Tomo's fighting people with her swords, she seems to only fight conquistador ninjas. I've noticed. I mean, <laughs> fight what you know. <laughs> they, of course, there's a long, long battle sequence. Yeah, but. You'll never guess. Matt and his team wins. Uh, Mark Twain kills Bizarro. Uh, and then they take a brief moment to discover that the horses on Riverworld are robots. Yeah. And before we get into the robots, I have a weird question for you. So we've learned you die on Riverworld. You will be resurrected on Riverworld. We don't know how long it takes. It, they kind of imply it doesn't take that long, maybe hours or days. But they don't explain it. Maybe they will in the next part. What happens if there's this, a dead body there? Because we've just had this big battle. There's all these people. You literally see in the background, people are being like staked and they're sticking out of the ground. I'm like, these people are feasibly going to come back. Are they going to come back and see their dead body? Hmm. Good question. Uh, I'm going to go with yes. I think yes is yeah. the answer. And maybe yes, because maybe they're all robots because the horse is a robot or maybe the world is robots. No, 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 no. The people definitely aren't robots because they bleed and they have all this like internal organs and they can die it is just the reveal this one horse they knocked over and like its belly's cut open and it just has gears inside of it and the and i don't know what that implication is that just like only the humans on river world are real and everything else is a robot maybe i'm not sure they just reveal it's like horses are robots here i'm like okay <laughs> i know and then and then they leave it because we cut to sam uh um uh, not Sam, Matt looking out at the water, kind of like forlornly. And he's just like, huh, water. And then a blue woman comes out and she's like, hey, uh, you didn't kill Burton. That was like the one thing you were supposed to do. And uh, he's like, yeah, but I'm, I don't really kill people. And and then she goes on about like second chances again. And he's like, but I like Jessica. And she's like, you can't see Jessica. He's like, but I like Jessica. And then I was like, no one cares, man. Yeah, this is the moment. I mean, we've already covered this. Is She just explains a lot of the like. Yeah. 
lore of Riverworld. We've already covered it. We can move on. But yeah, he he gets a moment to, to whatever. He's he's brooding. He's brooding by the river. But I also don't understand. Like, it is it supposed to be that he stands up for himself and chooses his own path? Is that what no. we as a viewer are supposed to understand? No, he just hasn't picked still. It's just like he will continue to have not picked a side. Right. At any rate, they head back to the steamship to leave, only to find that Richard Burton, who'd run away from the battle, has commandeered it. It is funny that it's Richard Burton. Richard Burton then uh, <laughs> finally reveals which Richard Burton he is, not the actor yes. like I thought the entire time. He shoots and kills Matt, so Matt's dead now. I'm like, okay, who cares? He'll be back next episode. I don't, I don't really yeah. this but, but you're right. They treat it with great aplomb. It's like, like slow-mo. It's like it might as well have like Sarah McLaughlin playing in the background or something that he dies. I'm like, guys, we know. He's, he'll be fine. He guarantee yeah, he'll I'm be back. Worried. I'm not worried. I'm not worried. He's being shot. It's okay. <laughs> and then uh, Richard Burton, he he sets off. He steals the he steals the old steamship. Although what we see is the, a bunch of a bunch of Mark Twain's crew is stowed away. So mm-hmm. I wonder if they'll come back to do anything. Whatever doesn't yeah. matter. And the big thing is that now that Richard Burton, who's working for the Salvationists, who wants to destroy Riverworld, he has this steamship with a fusion reactor on it. So I guess we're supposed to think. Oh, is he going to blow up Riverworld with this fusion reactor, I guess? I thought he was just like, oh, he's going to be able to travel upstream now. Yeah, I think the implication is he'll get to the source and then explode it, maybe. Mm-hmm. And then we get to see Alan Cummings standing on a mountain for some reason. Yeah, and that's it. It ends and it, the camera pulls back to Alan Cumming, <laughs> who's a member of the Blue Man group. He's one of these caretakers painted blue and he's standing on a mountain watching things happen. We, we didn't talk about it earlier. He appears for 30 seconds earlier, yeah. like right at the start, where he's just like, hey, it's me. I'm working with Richard Burton, and I am a salvationist. And I'm like, okay, Alan Cumming. And then he just is gone for the rest of the two hours until he's standing on this mountain. <laughs> they only had him for one day. That's why. And then, as you've said at the end, the camera pulls out, and what we see is river world from like a satellite, like view mm-hmm. the entire planet, and we just see all the rivers spreading across. It's a fine. It's like it's a nice view of river world. It's nice to kind of see the geography yeah. of the place but that's kind and of that, the conclusion of part yeah. one and it's it's weird now that we've like finished it we've started stopped talking about it it's weird as a beginning because it doesn't really end on a cliffhanger i mean i guess it does because matt's dead but we know he's back so it's not really a cliffhanger but then this didn't really set that much up i didn't think like i guess it does but not in a way that makes you as a viewer go like oh, i wonder what's going to happen like i could have been fine to not watch the second part we don't have to watch it just like oh i guess like things happened the big cliffhangers are will he find jesse and will they get the riverboat back that's that's kind of what you're left with that's basically all you're coming back for for part two right but I, again i don't think they have established interesting characters i don't think i care if he finds jesse i don't really care about his atonement I don't care if they find the riverboard. No, do I care if Mark Twain finds the center of the rivers. And I don't care about any of this because it was it was a weird, perfunctory introduction of introduction of characters, also of the world, and it wasn't even like they they needed to give me one character, even give me a bad like like funny uh, novelty character of some sort. It was nothing. Like they were all just like. Bleh. I mean, I thought what was weird was that. My understanding is this is a mini series. Like this is gonna be two parts, mm. and I, I maybe their plan is to come back and do more mini series in this world. I know that's a thing sci-fi's done in maybe. the past, but it really feels like a pilot because it introduces so many characters. That I agree. Have nothing to do, and like you know, it's a huge fault that none of them are interesting. Obviously, but it's just like, do I need this many characters for two TV movies? It's too like there's too many people. It's it's like they're setting up a much longer series. 
and it's just like I don't understand. Like, why are there so many characters? They're they're unnecessary. Like, well, focus. You mentioned an interesting thing that this time period, um, sort of the lost era of TV, specifically just not lost era, the lost the TV show era. Um, and I'll give it to that show. It was a very specific show. Whatever your feelings may have been on it or the implications of that show was that they introduced a bunch of characters and their whole thing was we're going to slowly over a season, maybe two, three seasons, introduce these, these characters, why they're interesting, why they act the way they are. And that was kind of that feel of that show. And they've done the same sort of thing in this, but have not given any time to actually make you care about the characters, nor that I would, do I think it necessarily would work. Like I don't need to see Deborah's whole life story, but nor do I actually care that Deborah's there because I didn't learn anything about her, didn't care about her, nor is she important to the plot. So thus, I Deborah shouldn't even be in this show. Like, it's just, it's a weird time waster of all these characters that the, the writers don't care about. So just don't have them in it. It's really, really peculiar how it's, how it's structured. It's very funny. I would say that the 2003 does so much better a job at what the 2010 is trying to do. Mm. is the mystery was more interesting. It felt more like a lost kind of like, why are they here thing? And the smart thing that the 2003 did is it didn't do this long setup on Earth before they, like he died yeah. right away. And then you meet him, you learn who he is. And then he meets a cast of characters he's going to team up with. Whereas this is just like, we're going to introduce you to the cast of characters you're going to team up with on Earth. And then it's going to be inexplicable. Like, when you get to Riverworld, the whole thing of Riverworld is you could meet anybody, but they've yeah. been like, no, you're going to hang out with this elderly tour group. That's what we want you to hang out with. But it just doesn't like the world. It doesn't make sense in the world they've set up. Like there's just no reason you would yeah. bump into these people and spend all this time with them again. But they're so committed to this, like these people they introduced in the first five minutes to be like, no, these are the core crew. Well, like, it all has to be why? connected to Matt and Jesse. That's why it's the only people that know them as a couple, I suppose. But it's like, but, but they who, they who... met them arguably twenty four hours ago. <laughs> I know. I I don't disagree with you. It's just it's weird that that's. But again, even if you didn't have those characters, I don't care if he finds Jesse or not. She's so boring. He's so boring. Who cares? It's a very odd. It's a very odd choices were made in the writing of this, and I don't know. Maybe it just. It got rewritten so many times. This is what it ended up being. It just, it's all comes down like to the writing. Like theoretically, mm-hmm. it doesn't. It's not the best looking show, but it doesn't look any worse than anything else from 2010. Agreed. TV. Like, it's fine. Like the production values there. It you know it looks like Vancouver, whatever. The shows that shot in Vancouver look like like the first one looked like it was in Vancouver. Doesn't matter. It just like the writing is inexplicable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good lead uh, to us rating this thing. What do you want to give this show? I'm not sure. I'm a little torn on it. I, well, it's a little but... unfair because, again, we, you know, for all intents and purposes, we're watching the first half of a three-hour uh, show or, or miniseries. So I kind of feel the same way. I almost want to say, like, I'll give a score, but I reserve the right to adjust it once we see this the second half. I guess so. I mean, I'm fine rating this as a standalone. Like, if I watch this first part of the TV movie and you're like, come back in 30 minutes and we're putting the second half on, you know, this would decide that for me. <sighs> Talking about it through, it makes it worse. Like, the more I talk about it, the more I, <laughs> I realize agree. how bad it is. I'm realizing it's coming from a real era of TV that, like, and one of those things that's rare for us, it's like, you know, yes, I lived through the 90s TV, but, like, that's, like, more nostalgia. Like, I was a child who didn't understand the world at the time, so, like, I didn't really have a good view of it. Whereas mm. this is just, like... I was I was a grown person in 2010, and I just like watching the tropes of what TV, the, the, what 24 did to TV, what like those kind of shows like 
baked into programs. Watching them is so awful to watch. They're such bad tropes that it makes it even harder to watch. What's already a tough show to watch. I don't know. I'm going to give it a two. Uh, I'm not going to go too too much higher. I'm going to give it a four out of ten. I, I don't know. It's just it's it's not like. I don't know. It's not that offensive. It's not that boring. It's not that bad looking, but it's just, it's bad enough that like you wouldn't care if you saw the second half, which I, by the way, is a great lead for our next podcast where we talk about the second half. But um, it's, it's a, it's a real curious thing that that is here because I get it. what it feels like is there was an idea and they're like, we'll improve on an idea, which is the books, but they don't seem to make any effort to do that. What they find interesting is other something other than what I actually think is interesting, which is this weird concept of waking up in this type of purgatory world where historical figures are all over the place and you can't die and you don't know who's pulling the strings or why you're here. There's th- That's just interesting. There's a million ways to do it. But then they were just like, what if we rewrite this guy as like your classic kind of no nonsense guy and he's needs to find his hot girl and they're gonna be hot together it's like oh this is so dumb that's (laughs) that's not interesting at all i mean it fits all those tropes we've seen of these kind of heroes before like he's no different than most of them um maybe a little blander than some but not that much different (laughs) yeah i'd agree he's 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 we've watched enough of these things that you're like, oh, I've seen this character before in some form. Well, let, let's wrap it up, Jordan, because uh, we'll got, we got more to talk about when we watch part two. <laughs> hmm Yeah. In the meantime, we, as always, have bonus episodes for charity. This is for older shows that we've uh, taken the escape pod from, which we can't from Riverworld, unfortunately. But some shows we just can't take any more of. The writings fall too low, and we take an escape pod. Or there's some shows where we've been watching multi-season shows where we're just doing the best of. So we're just watching the top three episodes of each season, so we're missing a whole bunch of episodes. So what we've done is we've established this where if you make a donation to a charity uh, as chosen by our past guests, we've got a list of them on our website. We'll go back and we'll watch an episode of your choosing that we might have skipped from a previous show we've watched. You can get all the details on our website. You can find that at continuumdrag.podbean.com. Or on social media, we have links to that uh, in our bio, so you can go find that there. But that's just a way for you to get a bonus episode of a show we've previously watched but missed some episodes of. Um, you pick the episode, we go back, we watch it, and you get a bonus episode. That's, that's, the, that's the gist of it anyway. And then, of course, on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, we're going to have clips from Riverworld. Uh, you'll see what a blue person looks like. You'll see a lightning orb. You know, you'll see some of the sci-fi stuff in this. Maybe that uh, guy getting stabbed in the eye. Uh, maybe, maybe. You'll definitely see a suicide bombing, that's for sure. <laughs> Thank goodness. Honestly, I think you'll probably see that 10-year-old girl get run over to. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, that, that really was hard to buff out of my bumper. Yeah, I felt really bad about that for about 45 seconds. She's like, don't, don't feel bad about it. She wasn't American. Think about all the good things you've done. <laughs> like, meet me and my tour guide group. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the handle on those social medias are at Continuum Drag. It's real easy to find. And if you could spell Continuum Drag, it's easy to find anyway. And um, if you have anything you want to talk to us about, maybe you have questions about bonus episodes for charity. Maybe you want to let us know how Riverworld should be, what, what the better version of it is. Maybe like they've made it in, I don't know, some other countries made it a better version of it. Let us know. We'll watch that instead. You can get us at ContinuumDrag at gmail.com, the email here. But that about wraps it up for this week. So, listener, thank you for joining us. And, Jordan, happy birthday. Thank you.
It's more like crap world, am I right? <laughs> They're gonna be like more like crappy birthday. Yeah, more like crappy birthday. Oh, that's funny. Oh, I should have said that. <laughs> Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario, and Seoul, South Korea. Theme music by James Rick Seedler. Produced by Jordan Dalek and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Younes. <laughs>